The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. A reading from the prophet Amos. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. God, we thank you for your word. The story of your grace. Well, before we go full in to the preaching of God's Word through the book of Amos. I'm grabbing this microphone, Ben, because I'm going to be using it for just a moment. Um, kiddos back there, I want you guys to right now, kiddos, let's say eight and under, be preparing to have Pastor Chad bring this microphone toward you and bring your biggest lion's roar to the microphone. Okay? Are you ready to bring your lion's roar? Okay. I will be back there and I will, parents, if you could just give me a hand, like they're, they're okay with doing it because I don't want to embarrass them. Okay. So we're just taking, take 30 seconds to hear some of you kiddos loudest lion's roar. Zoe, are you ready? Are you ready? Let me make sure. Oh, it's on. It is ready for you. Zoe, are you ready for your roar? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That pierced. That pierced. Finn, biggest roar. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you got a reaction, Finn. You got a reaction. Ready, Dad? Oh, and you ate the microphone, too. Yeah. All right. I'm going to clean that off. Nora, you don't even need a microphone. You didn't need a microphone for that. A lion's roar, friends. <laughs> what, have I, what have I started? A lion's roar has a purpose. A lion's roar serves as a warning to the pride, alerting the lion's family that there's danger surrounding the pride. It's signaling to anyone also within five miles of that pride of that group of lions that this roar belongs to a lion that is filled with power and strength and health and teeth. So you better beware if you're going to get close to us. The roar has the potential to reverberate through the fields like Nora's voice, through the trees, through the streets. Ask anyone who lives within a few miles of the NEW Zoo. Right? They may have never been to the zoo, but you ask them, is the lion real? And they will say, oh, they have a lion at that zoo. I've heard its roar. And anyone, anyone who hears a booming sound like the one of a lion's roar or a thunder clap or a pounding on a door has a response, an immediate response of dread. As the windows rattle to the sound of a thunderclap. As the wind swirls the rain. As you hear that pound on the door. You think to yourself, 
maybe I'm not as safe as I thought I once was. A few weeks ago, my son and I were walking out of the barbershop when a violent storm came upon this place. And it was thunder that was shaking the windows. And it was wind swirling the rain sideways. And the ground was flooding beneath our car in just two minutes. And as Cadence and I were driving over the bridge, wipers failing, not keeping up, and the car involuntarily being shoved to the guardrails, I leaned over to my son and said, are you afraid? And he said in his 13-year-old way, yeah, a little. And I responded and nodded, good, good. I'd be concerned if you weren't afraid right now. And we turned the corner to our street to see as we made our way to our home, that our street was blocked by this huge maple tree casualty that had snapped by the force of the wind. And it was laying in the street looking at us. And it was whispering its last words to us. Almost as if to say, remember, you're not as big as you think you are. A lion's roar serves as a warning to the pride. Lion's roar serves as a warning to our pride. To our believing we are bigger than we think we are. To believing we're more secure than we think we are. To that believing that we're more righteous than we think we are. To believing that we're more ready to face the Lord than we really are. But the Lord is roaring His judgment. And the lion of Judah's voice is giving warning to all of our pride. How will you respond to his roar? Will you look around at the warning signs? Will you let the roar, the sound of the roar, sink deep in you? Will you run toward him for cover and for protection? Or will you hear the lion roar and pop on the skull candy headphones, escaping to another virtual reality. To just drown out the noise and just pretend it's not there. Or will you just head up to your cottage up north just to get further away from the noise of the roar? Or will you make the lion's roar into like a zoo-like entertainment where you listen to it over and over and over again just to get a surge of adrenaline or convince yourself, like at the zoo, that you're safe behind the glass of that lion? Or will you run toward ritual or religion when you hear the roar? The ritual of obliterating your mind with a case of beer on a Friday night or the religion of showing up dressed on a Sunday morning in your Sunday best so that no one could guess what's really going on behind the clothing. The Lord is roaring His judgment. And He's calling us to ready ourselves to repent. So how do we ready ourselves to repent this morning? With the prophet Amos. We're starting the book of Amos this fall. And it's our first walk through as a church prophetic literature. It's our first walk through the prophets. Prophets are tough ones for a lot of us when we're reading it. 
But I just want to encourage us, it's not as tough as you think it might be. Prophets were God's mouthpieces. These were ordinary people that were called by God to deliver God's extraordinary word and usually powerful roar to a rebellious and intoxicated people. Prophetic works are works that were written in poetic and really picturesque language, which is intended to waken your imagination, to waken your mind and your heart out of its stupor. And Amos is probably the first written of the minor prophets. The book of Amos is considered a minor prophet, not because Amos's message is less important than the major prophets. No, it's minor because his message is shorter. It's more direct. It's like a startling wake-up call rather than a slow crescendo. Amos was written and alive about 750 years before the sound of the lion cub of Judah. 750 years before Jesus' cry, his first roar in Bethlehem was heard. And we're in Amos today and this fall because we as a leadership group believe our church is ready to hear the harder things. Like a parent who wisely waits to talk with their kids about certain dangers or certain topics until they're old enough to receive it, we as a session believe it's time for us as a body of Christ to hear the untamed lion's roar that's heard in the book of Amos and for us to respond with repentance. So how do we begin to respond in repentance? Here in this introduction, these two verses in Amos, we're given three ways in which we are called to respond to the roaring of the Lord. First, we must listen to the words we see. Second, we must feel God's roar resonate within us. And third, we must run for cover under his mane. First, as we hear the Lord roaring, we must listen to the words we see. Read with me the first part of the introduction of Amos. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw. Initially, that sounds a little strange. The words of Amos, which he saw. Right? Strange to see words. But not strange when you think of the expression, maybe, the writing is on the wall. We know how certain things we see can say something, right? When you see something, it can say something. When a woman says she's pregnant, you begin to see her words. Make sure you've heard her words before you congratulate her on what you see. Lesson learned. When you see neon orange or yellow on a highway, what does it say? It says there's construction ahead. The prophets are all about seeing what is being said. But what can sometimes happen with prophecy, and I want to warn you about this as we're reading through it, is that we can muck it all up with our own preferences or cultural biases or interpretations of what's being said here. This is why Amos is beginning with this, the words which he saw. 
He's helping the reader prepare for what's coming. To stress the importance of reading Amos' words as images. To spark your imagination. Not as much words to be scrutinized for exactly what they mean. For example, I was running the other day along a side street. And as I was passing on the sidewalk under an overpass, there was a police officer parking his car. He parked his car on the sidewalk. It was kind of strange at first. And as I moved toward him on the sidewalk, I started to move off onto the street to get around the car. And I gave him a little friendly wave, hey officer. And as I was going behind the car, I saw behind the car a tack strip. Something that is intended to pop the tires of an oncoming car. And that tack strip was speaking words to me. What was it saying? That tax strip was saying, there's something, there's someone at large right now that the police are trying to stop, that they're trying to apprehend, and he might soon be speeding down this road, and they're ready to stop him. It put me on high alert. That tax strip said something was coming. So what are we to see with Amos' words? Let's read on. He says, the words of Amos that he saw... Concerning Israel, concerning Israel, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So here's what we see right now. We see Amos, a shepherd from Tekoa, speaking words about a people, the nation of Israel, who are under the rule of a king, Jeroboam, at a certain time. Right before disaster. Let's unpack that for a second. We see in Amos a common man, a lowly shepherd whose name means burden carrier. Amos is the one who's burdened. Another way to describe it, commentators said, is Amos is kind of like the pain in your rear. Second, we see division between two kings and two places, Israel and Judah. Third, we see impending disaster coming. So see the signs like the tax strip that something is very wrong here. We see something is wrong by Amos' name. There's a burden he's carrying. We see there's something wrong by the division of God's kingdom between the northern Israel and the southern Judah. No more are God's people one. They're now north and south. They're fractured by two power-hungry kings. Something's wrong. The north, Israel, are the big brothers consisting of ten tribes ruled by Jeroboam who's made the worship of God into his own image. And the southern kingdom where Amos is from, Judah, is a little splinter nation consisting of two little tribes, Benjamin and Judah, which is ruled by Uzziah. Judah, this tiny little place, but it's still the place where God's temple, Zion, and the kingdom of God's capital, Jerusalem, were commanded by God to be. This is eerily a sign of our times, church. A dwindling church presence in the United States. 
bearing burden as weary sheep and weary shepherds are trying to live faithfully in a nation that uses the phrase, in God we trust, but would rather make worship and trust put into things like wealth or like power or like cancel culture or silencing anything that doesn't look like or offends us. That's where we live. And an earthquake is coming. See the writing on the wall. The Lord is roaring. Don't ignore what you see. And that's my application in this first point to you all. Don't ignore what you see. When you read about political leaders or fallen church leaders or corrupt companies or social trends or social justice movements, read as Amos would read with the question of this. What are you saying, Lord, in what I'm seeing? What are you saying in what I'm seeing around me? Karl Barth, who is a theologian of the 20th century, wrote, Take your Bible in one hand and your newspaper in the other and read both. But interpret your newspaper from your Bible. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. Because friends, we have to be honest. We are doing it the other way around. We are letting the headlines influence what we believe about God rather than letting God influence what we believe about the headlines. Repentance means taking your Bible and your phone and reading both, asking the Bible to say and help me with what it is that I'm seeing here. Repentance means letting the Bible speak first. As we walk through Amos, Let's let Amos tell us what the headlines we're reading mean. When you watch a show on Netflix or on Hulu, watch the show as Amos would watch the show. What are you saying and what I'm seeing here, Lord? And when you see yourself or someone you love respond to something in a sinful, stubborn way, what are you saying and what I'm seeing, Lord? Because the lion is readying his roar. As the lion roars, we ready ourselves for repentance by listening to what we're seeing. What we're seeing God say. That's the first thing we do. But then, we must feel God's roar resonate within us. Read with me the first part of verse 2. And Amos said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. God roars. Look at the front of your worship guide. When you see that picture of that lion, does that make you feel all comfortable? I hope not. Because the Lord roars. Let that image shake you on the inside that he is an untamed lion. He is not your homeboy. He is not your pet. He is not someone to be trifled with or manipulated in making him what you want him to be. No way. He roars. And the king of Israel, King Jeroboam, had made him into who he wanted him to be. He had set up a new temple in Bethel instead of Jerusalem. And he promoted the worship of not only Yahweh, but other gods. Gods of sex, gods of war, gods of the weather channel. This is our world today. We worship sex as ultimate. 
We worship power as ultimate. And don't you dare take away our first world comforts. Because we refrigerate ourselves and our house in the summer. We take an Advil at the first sign of arthritis in the fall. And we cozy up by the fire in December. All the while God's voice is calling for our allegiance and we ignore him. Feeling God's roar resonate within us is remembering he is God and we are not. His roar is the roar that can shake and quake the earth. His roar is the roar that can stop an enemy, any enemy from advancing. His roar is the roar that will send sinners straight to the pit of hell. His roar is the roar that will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that has to include us, church. Not just the people who irk us and irritate us on the outside. As I was writing this message, I was feeling a nauseous pit in my gut. Do I want God to roar over my life? No. Do I need him to roar over my life? Yes, indeed. Why? Because I've made my God too small. I've made my God too tame. I've made my God too safe. I've made my God too much like me. I'm reading uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia series to Charlie recently at night. And he loves Aslan, the lion, the king of Narnia. And he wants me, as a reading, he wants me to scan ahead in the book to show him pictures of this lion. But it's not because Aslan is cute and cuddly. No. It's because Aslan is strong. Some of you may be familiar with the dialogue that occurs when one of the main characters, Susan, is being dis- given a description of the lion. And it starts with a poem about the lion. Aslan says this, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. As the young Lucy begins to ask for more details of this Aslan, she asks, wait, is he a man? And one of the characters responds, is is he a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And her sister Susan shrieks, oh, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe. Safe? Don't you hear what we're telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
There's something called a resonating frequency. And if you're ever with me, when I head into a flat surfaced room, you might see me do this. It embarrasses my kids. Every flat surfaced room has what's called a resonating frequency, where if you hum or sing a certain pitch, it will cause the room to shake. That's what we need from God's roar this morning. We need him to roar so that we feel it in our bones and our sin against a holy God, that it shakes our house and it blows our house down. His goodness roaring into our badness, his power roaring into our weakness, his love roaring into our hatred, his authority roaring into our power grabs. Let the king's roar resonate in your heart to shake you out of your sinful, self-absorbed stupor. Wake you out of your narcissistic nightmare. Turn you from navel-gazing to not to us, but to your name be the glory, O Lord. That as verse 2 continues, the pastures mourn means they're wiped out. And that the top of Carmel withers means Carmel was the mountain where the Lord warred between false gods and he burned them up completely. He withered them away. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be hearing the roar of the Lord as he zeroes in on each of us and roars against our false gods. Brace yourself. It won't be safe, but it will be good. The Lord roars. But he doesn't roar only so that we listen to what we see. He doesn't roar only so that we feel a fear or a dread inside of us. He roars that we might respond to him. The Lord's roar needs to generate this knee-knocking, panic-attack fear in us to move us to safety. A roaring lion, a roaring lion leads us to see our need for a sacrificial lamb. The book of Amos, I pray, will cause each one of us to turn to run for safety under the lion Jesus' mane. The Lord is not safe apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we will stand before the holy wrath of God's justice and be deservingly cast away for every wrong we've ever done. But our saving, our salvation comes through judgment. We read Amos to know who we're not. We're not good. We read Amos to know who he is. He is good. He is the burden-bearing Amos, the burden-bearing shepherd who has come to roar over sin so that his sheep will hear his voice and hide underneath his protection, underneath his perfection, underneath his cross, as Jesus, our Amos, bears the full bore of the lion's roar, the father's roar against sin. Salvation comes through our judgment, our deserved roar that is put upon Christ. Hide under his mane as you hide and abide safely in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus is the main in which we hide. Amos 
is going to be calling us to leave our lesser loves and hide safely in the perfect love of Jesus. The lion's roar is a warning, friends, to your pride. But he invites you to come and safely hide. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would prepare us for what we are about to hear this fall. That we may even be thinking to ourselves this morning, whoa, this might be a little much. But Lord, we need a little much to waken our souls to see how much you love us. So Lord, we pray that you would roar in our souls, roar in our minds, roar in our hearts, roar in our lives. That we would not see that we're safe in our own little comforts, but that we're only safe under the blood of the Lamb. Roar, Lord, roar. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.